0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. As I mentioned before, some of the most uh, exciting times on any series is when it begins, and you know, kind of when it ends, like, oh, on to the next one. So I'm really up today, you know, I really am glad that this, we're starting this new thing. You know, the next few weeks, I won't be into it at all, but for right now, I'm very excited. Um... So we're looking at a new series called Uprising. It's one of my favorite books that Pastor Irwin wrote, and I was looking at it this past week, and I saw it, it looks like I read it six years ago. And, um, and so I had a chance to kind of, you know, go through some of the pages and passages that I had underlined and, and, and you know, highlighted. You know, I, as I mentioned, I don't journal, but I do write notes in the books when I read them, and a date and the time, and it sort of, it sort of becomes like a life map of my story. And so I'm very excited to start this with all of you. Um, now, the book is broken up into three sections, which is how we're going to do the talks. And, uh, and this section that we're going to look at is the idea of enlightenment or the quest for enlightenment. And while that sounds like very esoteric and, you know, arcane, what, what this really is is just the idea of becoming a wise person, okay? Now, you, you've heard me mention a, a few times, if you've been here at all, that wisdom is nothing more than just connecting the dots. Wisdom is understanding that what you do here is, has, a, has a future uh, outcome, a, a consequence, I mentioned last week, or a couple weeks ago, that it's almost like uh, it's like handling money or, or investing. Everything you do, every thought that you entertain, every every uh, everything you expose yourself in terms of entertainment, every action, every emotional thing that you allow yourself to indulge in, good or bad, you know, states of being, mind, all that kind of stuff. All of that pays a dividend, and it's like you are investing in a certain sort of character trait. And that often there were times when I, uh, there were things I chose not to do, not because of lack of opportunity. Not because of lack of willingness. It's because I didn't want to become the person that I knew I would become by paying into that. I didn't want the dividend. I knew that if I, if I made even a small decision in a certain way, that it's beginning to shape and color my soul. Maybe another way to look at it is that you are ultimately, in, in, a, in a very significant real way, you are sculpting yourself. You know, so everything, every little chisel mark, every action is one of those little marks in your soul that, that affect the outcome. Now, God is great, and God is kind, and he's good to override a lot of our failures. But, you know, why give him more to do? You know, he's already busy running the universe. So um, let's go to Matthew 25 as we take a look at the uh, stories that um, Jesus is using to answer a question what the kingdom of God is like. So Matthew 25, verse 14. Let me get there as well. All right. Let me give you some context about where we're going to go. First of all, the, the, the idea of wisdom is not the accumulation of facts. Many of you know people who have degrees or they're, they're, they're smart, they know stuff, but you, know, you wouldn't call them wise. You might refer to them as being they're really kind of dumb. They seem to make the same mistakes relationally, financially, emotionally, over and over again. And others who don't have, let's say, a degree or the expert status to speak they just seem to be wise people. You know, when you go to them with a situation or a question, or maybe you're just hanging around them, they seem to be able to untie the knots and explain what's very confusing to you or to others very simply in a, in a one-word statement or a phrase, and all of a sudden brings clarity to a situation. But wisdom is understanding consequences. There are consequences to all our action. But so, how do you get wisdom? One of the steps towards wisdom is a person that has the, the, the has developed the character trait of perseverance. Who's willing to stay in there and hang in there, even when things don't go well, even when it seems that no one's noticing, no one's paying attention, and there's no payoff? Okay, how do you get that character trait? Well, that character trait is developed in in, in developing the muscle of faithfulness, and this is where we start in this quote, quest for enlightenment. Faithfulness is staying in the game when it doesn't seem to matter. It's being consistent and and developing. Um, the, the character trait of faithfulness so that you can conti- continue moving forward until you get to that place where you are uh, a wise person you operate in an in a area of wisdom Jesus gives two parables that are recorded in, in Matthew and in Luke that we'll take a look at so Matthew 25 verse 14 Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of God is like and this is one of the parables he uses verse 14 again uh, because there was, there was another one before Again, it will be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And to the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now, I want you to catch that. Gave talents based on their ability, how they were wired, what they were like. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who the man had received five talents brought the other five and says, Master, you have entrusted me with five talents. I have gained five more. Double the, you know, double the investment. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been uh, faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents came and said, Master, he says, You've entrusted me with two talents. I've gained two more. Also double the investment. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man. Have you, ever, this is, you know this story's not going to end well, right? He's already has an excuse. Right? The bus was late. I didn't have change. I had a flat tire. There were locusts. It's not my fault. Master, I know you're a hard man. <clears throat> Harvesting where you have not sown. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. So, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. See? Here it is. It belongs to you. I always have this picture in my mind that it's... It's this dirty, filthy coin or something, you know? Because talents are a a coin in this Middle Eastern time. Hey, here it is. And for some reason, he has a nasal problem. (laughs) His master replied, Hey, you good and faithful servant. No, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, should you have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I return I would have received it back with interest? Take the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten. For everyone who has will be given more and he who has an abundance and whoever does not have even what he does not will be taken from him and throw this worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's kind of kind of severe. You give a guy a dirty coin, you end up in a dark place. Um, you know, I, I have to tell you kind of a story to kind of put this in context about this place to, to help you understand why this speaks to me. Uh, this church started because I wanted to quit doing church. Uh, I, I was not interested. It just wasn't something I thought. Boy, I you know I gotta i got to keep doing this. Um, there's, I think, one or two of you. One, maybe another person here that was around with the first church that we had planted. We made the papers. We were in a nightclub. Um, like, that matter. In fact, what I've noticed now, everybody wants to be in the grungiest place possible now. We meet in a bathroom. You know, that's how whole... <laughs> that's how contemporary we are. We, we, we won't even flush it. Like, uh, awesome. Wow. Sounds like a Hispanic church. So, anyway, the point is, is that... Okay, come on. Was that necessary? So, at any rate, my point, and there is one, is that, um, yeah, I was, uh, you know, it had gone well, and it was not going so well, and I thought, you know, I'm done. I did it. We had laughs. We had the memories. We had the photos. You know, I'm done. And uh, so one night, you know, it was my annual visit to the the gym, and so, because I'm I'm committed to my physical health, and so... uh, so I, I, I got dressed, and I was just, you know, I, I, but I don't like to go. I mean, you know, I, I really don't go, so when I go, I don't like going. And so I went, and, and, and my wife actually kind of re- more re- threw me out of the house, because I, I think I got dressed at 6. It was 10 o'clock. I was still, I don't want to do this, you know. <laughs> don't make me go. And, I, you know, I, I re- was reduced to an 8-year-old child. And, and um, finally, my wife said, honey, just go. And I think behind that was, you know, get out of the house is what I really heard. So I, I drove here, the 24-hour fitness. It's, you know, for me, it's more like 1 in 365. That's how often as I go. And, and I, you know, I, I lollygagged in where I was parking, you know, because I have that classic, you know, 98 Ford Explorer. And I want to make sure nobody would hit it. And so I finally roll into a spot. I, I'm dragging my gym bag on the floor. I'm gonna don't, I don't do this. I open the door and walking out is a friend of mine named Erwin uh, McManus. And Erwin's a great guy. He's a good guy. I, I like him. You know, I, I don't know him well. I, I didn't know him well at the time. He says, "Octavio, I was just praying about you. Just you were on my mind." Now, now you have to know that that inside of me beats the heart of a raging cynic. And my first reaction was, "Really? Is that what?" Does, there, does everybody fall for that when you tell them that? You could you could just say, hey, good to see you, bro, and you know, because like when you don't know, right? If you're a Christian, which is the one thing about being a Christian, if you don't know somebody's name, you always say, bro. Right? And even with girls, dude. Right? I have this thing with my wife, it's just a secret. Now if I ever do it to you, no when I don't know your name, I don't remember because it happens, short-term memory is blown, too many <laughs> blows to the head. I would say, hey, it's good to see you. Honey, introduce yourself. <laughs> and I wait to hear what they say. <laughs> That's right. My good friend, Stan. Stan. <laughs> anyway. So I give that to all of you as a gift. <clears throat> and so... Um, So he says to me, hey man, I was thinking about you, how's it going, what's happening with the church? I said, man, I'm, bro, I'm thinking of leaving it, actually, I'm done, I'm just tired, I don't want to do this anymore. He says, hey, well, you know what, Uh, don't do that, you know, how about, I was was praying about actually working with you to plant something in Whittier, I know that Whittier means something to you, you care about Whittier, you know, would you be interested in doing that? Now, honestly, what I thought that he was asking me to do was to host a DVD closed circuit TV series. I thought, oh, I can open a door. I can say hello to people. I can tell them to get out of the joint when I'm done, you know. Close the doors and go home. I'm totally fine with that. So I said about thinking, yes. No idea what I was getting into. Yeah, none. Uh, And and I'm, I'm being a little bit flippant with this. It's just that I, here's what I thought. I thought I can do this thing. I should do it. It's a good thing. I should do it. Had he told me what it entailed, I would have been probably uh, thought, man, you know, honestly, bro, I don't qualify, I don't, I'm not the guy. There's probably a guy out there, I'll pray for the guy, but I'm not the guy. But I just thought that this thing I can do because it's a good thing, I should do it. If you're looking for help, I'll do it. And, you know, here we are, a couple of years later. And, and I, I'm i excited to meet people and work with people, you know, there's trips to Thailand to places around the world where, uh, you know, Looking at opportunity in the city of Orange. I mean, things have happened, and I'm grateful. But I realized, had I thought to say no to a little thing, we would have missed this good thing. Ruroch might not have been around. Oh, no, I would have been around. That's right. The metal band up here. So when I read this passage, I want to give you some observations. And, and uh, you know, you, you take what, you, what works for you. You can leave the rest behind. But here's what I've noticed. That, that God gives us resources and He holds us accountable for them. <clears throat> you know, some of you, you have uh, talents or resources, and, and you might be thinking, no, I don't. I don't have anything. I bet you that's the guy with the one talent, what he thought. Now, I, I know that I'm the kind of person, I have maybe two things I bring to the table here. One of them is I'm comfortable working with people who are more talented than I am. The second thing is I, I, I can tell a good story. But other than that, I don't do much. You know, uh, people have to call me, remind me what to do, what, where to go. Um, I, I don't know how I was managing cities for AT&T, but that explains their poor network, I guess. Nonetheless, oh, oh, that was unnecessary. <laughs> they gave me $4 million to manage. That's ridiculous. Should have bought a car. At any rate. Yeah, he, he gives us resources and expects us to actually uh, do something with them, with your life. I, I, some of you know that I used to have this sort of death obsession. Not that I always wore black. Oh, wait, I did. But, but I was just, you know, I just, I thought, why are good people younger than me, sometimes older than me, you know, they've, they've died. What am I doing here? You know, how am I paying the rent for being alive? What am I contributing to humanity? How have I helped anybody? Is it going to matter if I die? Except maybe to my family when they cash the life insurance check is it going to make a difference that I made a difference anywhere? And that sort of troubles me. In fact, that still motivates my thinking. I, you know, I kind of want to leave something behind that mattered and made other people's life better so that when I leave the planet and we're all going to go to this journey, is somebody better off because I was here? So when I think about this passage, I, I see that, uh, you know, for some of us, I think if, depending on the church culture you were you were brought up in, you might look at this as the, the reward and the sweet by and by. I, I'm going I'm, to... I want to bring it closer here. This is not speaking about your reward on on high. This is speaking about opportunities to help people here and now. And so part of the resources that God gives us in our life are really just you. You're the resource. Your temperament, your talents, your strength, your friends, the community that you find yourself in. Places where you can influence. Places where you can lead. And by the way, leading is not contingent on a title or a position. Most of you are leading without any sort of permission. It's just you're the person who does. You have either a good character or a bad character, but you're influencing the life of other people. And people are willing to follow your lead. That's leading. If people are following you, you're leading. <laughs> Period. The lack of use is misuse or a waste. And from what I am see in Scripture, God really laments over Waste. You know, when um, some of you, perhaps you go to a restaurant you're, you're, or, you know, you go to a, I don't know. Are any of you like, and this is not good or bad, it's just is. Are many of you, you're like the recycling person, you're the green person in your neighborhood? Any of you? None of you? All of you hate the planet? Okay, one guy. Um, a couple. And by the way, you know, when you, when you see how trash is actually, any of you ever been to the La Puente dump site up there? Or an Eagle Rock or that area up there? Nobody? You guys don't get out much? I don't know why I was there, but the thing is, I have been. And it's just amazing to see just this local amount of waste that gets buried. And so I, I, I see the value, you know, followers should see the value, of course, in, in recycling. So when I see how much food is tossed out in restaurants, when I see the clothing, it's like, wow, that's a waste. And I think when I meet people who are making unhealthy decisions over and over again, I think, gosh, what a waste of life. You know, there's so much you could be doing. When you, uh, those of us who are parents, you know, and you have your kids and you see them struggling in a time and period of life, you, go, oh, you just lament that there's a, they're going through that dark period. Okay, now let me just fly back a little bit higher altitude. If, if I'm thinking and processing this, I can only imagine what God processes when he sees a whole life wasted, a culture wasted. He hates waste. The lack of use of your resources is misuse or it's waste. When I see this man process the idea of the fear of God And, and afraid of God and, and I know for many of us that, that kind of language is You know kind of unpleasant doesn't sit well So I, I want to maybe help some of us who have You know you hear this kind of talk And you go man this is the very thing why I don't come to church See there's a, there's a huge difference between Fearing God and afraid of God Fearing God is simply really matters matter of showing respect it, And that, I know that the, the English is not very helpful In this particular way of translating the word But that's what it comes down to Fear God. When you read that in the scriptures, fear God is saying, have respect for God. You know, I, um, it's actually, how many of you know the a corporation, know Kyocera? Kyocera, anybody? Nobody? Okay, well, I was, in, I was in technology for many, many years of my life. Kyocera are the developers of the digital chip that make our cell phones work. Kyocera's company model is respect, heaven, love people. That's a great tattoo. <laughs> and that's a good way of understanding fear God is respect, heaven, love people. At any rate, my point is that the differences between that and being afraid of God is that fear has a way of you know, paralyzing us. You follow? You know, some of you who had semi-decent or fairly healthy relationship with your parents, you were operating in this principle. You, were, you feared your parents, but you weren't afraid of them. Some of us who had maybe unhealthy relationships, you, know, you were afraid of your parents. I get that. And the way that fear paralyzes a person I get you, you, your mind is scattered you can't focus you're, you're uncertain of making decisions because fear has a way of, of, um, of just diminishing you as a person That's, this is not what what, what what Jesus is saying for us to do so the difference is that uh, that it, it is the, the idea of, a, of fearing God and afraid of God it's the difference between distress and respecting it's the difference between commanding Versus a connection with somebody that matters to you, um, and this is why, in many cases, we I, you know we just don't have in this particular community in our culture, we don't make up list of things you guys should be doing or not doing. I mean, where does it stop? You know, when it's occasionally sometimes people want to share something with me. So and so is doing fill in the blank, okay? And I know what they're asking. They're what they're saying. You know, what are you going to do about it? Uh, well, I'll, I'll be praying for them. But you know, apparently you know them well. They're your friends. You know, what do you... Look, here's the biggest thing I find. I'm not down on this, but... um, It's like sex is the biggest sin in the world you could possibly commit. You know, it's always funny to me when people say, Pastor, what do you think about sex? (laughs) I don't even want to answer that. You know, yay, sex? I don't know. (laughs) One of God's good gifts? Awesome. You know, he could have made us like salamanders reproducing ourselves, but he gave us sex instead. The point is... um, Hanging on to think is I know I've lost some of you. Please come back. Um, my mind's going, I know, I know. Come back. Like hurting cats now, but I, I just I'm convinced of one thing. I will not spend energy trying to tell people how to not live and what to do and this, that, and the other. Here's what I want spend my energy on. If I can help you connect to God through Jesus Christ, if you see Him clearly, I'm convinced you'll fall in love and love will moderate your behavior. If, if loving God doesn't moderate your behavior, I have little influence over your life. And I know this as a parent. And some of you know this because you had parents. You know, they had the tight curfew on you. Don't see that friend of yours. Whatever it might be, right? And, 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 when, and maybe if you loved them and respected them, you, you followed what they said. You know, Well, you know, they know better or they care about me, so I'm going to do what they say. But most of us, what happened? As soon as you had the opportunity, come on. I mean, I, I know. I know. I know what I did. I know what this guy did because I know I've known him since he was a child. So I mean, I know that there's just very little influence in trying to command obedience from people. But when you love somebody, love moderates behavior. And so, if I can help you fall in love with God, I, I, you know, you will thrive. And I know this about fearing God and being afraid of God, that that holiness and connecting and and having a a life of integrity is not about what you don't do. It's just so much energy spent on that. And what you end up not doing creates that vacuum in your soul and your life that has to be filled with something anyways because the universe hates a vacuum. Holiness and integrity is what you do. It's what you fill your life with instead. Um, so that's why I think that the, the elimination of sin, the elimination of darkness, the elimination of evil, the elimination of unhealthy character traits and unhealthy aspects of your life is a waste of time. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. In fact, this is why I think willpower, to a large extent, is almost one of the you know, a dangerous concept in the life of a, of a follower of Jesus because it's not about your will; it's about God's grace and kindness in your life. Now, don't get me wrong, you are responsible for a number of things, but God works with you. It takes you beyond your willpower. Um, and yet, I've noticed people, whether it's men, women, uh, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's, it's porn, whether it's uh, uh, unhealthy thought lives, whether it's unash- uh, unhealthy actions, no matter what it is, it seems that when people have too much time and too little purpose in their life, boredom, you'll end up doing things that are just Stupid that you regret later find something that matters that's bigger than you that will outlive you give your life to that you're on your way to becoming a healthy person so um, after looking at this passage just take a look at also Luke 19 and and I'll share from this story the idea of generating or developing the muscle of faithfulness Luke 19 uh, starting at verse 11 and it's also kind of a similar setup here uh, Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of God is like. That's a very unique phrase in the scripture. Kingdom of God. Maybe for us it would be more understanding the, like, uh, the influence or the reign of, of God in our lives and the community. <clears throat> so what is it like? And so he, he's trying to explain it with different stories and metaphors and, or uh, parables. And this is another one. Now it's going to have some similar themes. But I want you to, to notice one thing that's really important, the difference here. In the previous story... Uh, the the master, the owner, the, the head guy gave money and asked these people to invest in it. Okay? They were, in, you might say, like an employee status. In this particular case, it's a king who's going to go get his crown, you know, whatever, and then come back. But there are people in his kingdom that don't want this king. And that's the, the little twist in here. Now in verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Okay, now let me stop and tell you why that's significant. Um, Those of you who are familiar with the story of Christianity, the story of Jesus, you, you you know that there is this, it's a story of God who comes in the shape of humanity, in a human form who now cannot be accused of... of, of, Well, you don't know what it's like to be human. No, I know exactly what it's like to be human. I know exactly what it is to look through the eyes of flesh. I know exactly what it is to be rejected. I know what it's like to be lonely. I know what it's like to be misunderstood. I know what it's like to have people stab you in the back, to be disloyal. I know what it's like to be joyful. I know what it's like to have friends. I know what it's like to eat and dance and have good food. I know exactly what it's like to be human. I was one. And then... He comes and, 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 and uh, he pays for, by dying on a cross, the crimes for all humanity. If a person is willing to follow him and connect to God through him. But for the folks who were there at that moment, that's just something that just could not enter their thinking. And for some of us who might think, gosh, it would be easier to believe in Jesus if I was there. I doubt it. Right? His own family thought he was insane. Correct? They thought he was beside himself and saying, which is a, you're beside yourself. But what a quaint English way of saying, you're crazy. Nonetheless, what they did think is that, that the Messiah who was coming, the Messiah that was promised in the scriptures, was going to be a political military leader. Now, they were people who were living in an oppressed country or occupied country. The Italians, the Romans. The Roman army occupied Israel. And for them, they felt it as a shame and a humiliation, like any occupied people would feel. Now, while they had some liberties, the one that was vital, the right to execute, was taken away. But still, you know, they had a, there was a fortress on the, on the temple campus, um, you know, uh, Roman insignias. I mean, for them, this was, it's just a shameful, shameful thing that they were an occupied nation. So they assumed and were hoping that the Messiah would be a political military leader. And Jesus is trying to help correct the thinking that it had very little to do with that, at least at this time. So this is why he says, I'm going to put this story in the idea of a kingdom because that's what's on their mind. All right, long setup. Here's the rest of the story. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him. They sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained from, with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. You have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. Awesome. You take charge of five cities. That's the short version of well done, good servant. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. (laughs) I've laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you. Because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. You reap what you did not sow. His master replied, Really? Well, then by your own words, you... Wicked servant, I'll judge you by your words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Then why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Listen, take his mina away from him and give it to the one that has ten. But, sir, he already has ten. I know. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here, kill them in front of me. Zowies. You know what's interesting to me when I read this parable, some one of the first things I take away that it seems like this was a test. Doesn't it to you? See, uh, this is what's interesting to me. The king gives these folks different levels of monies you know go do go do stuff with it go manage it you know make me more money it's not that the king needed more money so you're missing the point if perhaps you're thinking that oh it's about the king getting more money no it's about how the king could give these other people more to do good with um the one that had the 10 gets you know these 10 cities to manage the one that has the 5 the cities to follow because the principle of managing and leading it's the same whether it's in a small thing or in a large thing. But here's what happens for most of us. We think, until I get the large thing, I don't I need to pay attention. I don't need to take it seriously. And everything about your life, when, it, when it's the small little tiny things that we, small things that we overlook, the small things that we ignore, the small things that we want to toss out, the small things we want to disparage, and we think, you know, this really isn't important, it matters. Because you're developing the muscle of faithfulness that leads you on the road to wisdom. So the, 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 um, the thing I, I find here is that there's like almost a question that's being asked of these servants that God is asking of us still today. Here's the question. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? I, I recall thinking often, and, and I think when I'm in my worst moments, I, I still kind of revert back to this thinking, Okay, so let me see if you guys can, can, can uh, you know, identify with this. You start thinking, when I get this promotion, move to that zip code, have this relationship, get rid of this, you know, when or if. If I have this or if I, then I'll be a better person, a happier person, or a good person. You follow? Now, if you're a follower, sometimes you try to spiritualize it by saying, God, please. When you give me these things, then I will be man. I will be totally I'm all about you and all this that, and the other. I, I want you to know that God is saying, it's not a matter of when and if; it's a matter of right now. What are you doing right now with who you are and what you have? Um, the, the question is not about, you know, what you're going to become. It's what you're becoming at this moment all the little tiny decisions and things you get to do can I trust you because see how these people served their king determined what they were going to lead I think we forget that you, I think we are under the impression and I know I was in a, in a, in a silly way thinking that I was ready to do things that mattered career wise or a family or maybe in a church setting trying to short-circuit the process of just being faithful with small stuff. Anybody here ever work with junior high school students? And you survived. That's awesome. How many? A couple of you over here? Okay. I remember I was part of a larger church. It was like three, 5,000 people. The pastor was kind of a friend of mine. And he said, hey, man, I need your help. Would you mind working with these junior high school kids? I, my, first re, my first words out of my mouth, I'm telling you, this is exactly how it went down. I said, are you mad at me? Why, why am I being exiled into junior high school? How have I offended thee, you know? And uh, so for a couple of years, I taught junior high school. We were, um, I think we were there about 15 years, and we had a chance to serve and help out in another uh, church <laughs> I go there. The Sunday school superintendent comes to me and says, Octavio, yes, I have an opportunity for, for teaching. You said you wanted to help out teaching. I said, yes, but you know, wouldn't Pastor Dave be upset if I took over on Sunday mornings? No, I didn't think that. Um, I thought, yes, well, we need somebody in junior high school. I go, again with the freaking junior high school? You've got to be kidding me, man. There's nobody else? Now, I, that's what I was thinking internally. I said, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve God here. What a blessing. What a blessing. And, and I know from being around the culture is that when you say, you know, I, I need to pray about that, is that what you're saying, I'm looking for a reason to say no. I just, I'm stalling for time to make it sound spiritual and noble, but I have no interest in doing this. And so I, I came to the conclusion that I... Uh, I have it most of my life. That is, I have an opportunity. I have the ability. I should just say yes. If I don't, I know that the reason why I didn't want to say yes was that I thought that was kind of beneath me, or hard, or you know, you follow? All right. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, what's one of the 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 benefits of that is is seeing these grown men and women. Shaving with children of their own now. Hey, you were my Sunday school teacher, and thanks, you helped out, and you know, that's cool. But I realized that the benefit was actually more for me. I developed the muscle of faithfulness and just did what was right to do. And here's what else I've noticed if you can teach junior high school and keep their attention, you guys are a snap. Here's another observation I take away from this story. Maybe you felt this already too. It, God isn't fair, is he? I mean, I know some of you want to say, yeah, he's right, man. I, you know, he's awful and I uh, should have had better parents. And, uh, okay, all right. Uh, uh, I know you want to work out your pain. But what I'm trying to point out is that he, he, he gives to people not in proportion, but based on their ability. Now, here's the thing that's even weirder to me. See, if, if the scriptures are true, and I believe they are, it's that he's already built you specifically to do good. Ephesians 2.10. See, see whether or not you, you, you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, here's, here's something I want to tell you that might be disconcerting or might actually be helpful. God already is part of your story. He's just waiting for you to join his story. Acts 17 says, You are born at this specific moment in history with the parents that you have, the DNA, the genetics, everything, to maximize your ability to do good for humanity. And he says, And I will, I'm inviting you into this plan. I'll I'll put my spirit inside of you. I'll live in you. I'll energize you. I'll motivate you. I'll encourage you. I'll gift you a certain way. I'll plan it out. It's all, you're going to love this. You just have to say yes. But I'm glad God isn't fair. Look, there is nothing about fairness when it comes to God. It's not even a word you can use to describe Him. He's not fair. He's gracious. He's merciful. It's not fair. It wasn't fair that Jesus died in our place. It wasn't fair that all those things that happened in the Scripture sometimes took place. It wasn't a matter of fairness. It isn't fair that we get a pass on all of our sins and crimes. That doesn't make sense to me. It has nothing to do with fairness. God isn't fair. If you struggle with that, that might be one of your first hurdles to get over, to develop faithfulness. You and I get the opportunity to participate with God in helping humanity. Now, here's why I think that God isn't fair is more important. If one of us is going to be irresponsible with our opportunities, those opportunities seem to be removed from us and given to people who are responsible and grateful and motivated to help others see you know god hates waste as i said a moment ago you know what i noticed when when, when you're not, when you're trying to help somebody connect to god you should couple of views that ap- happen two things i find and this is what i found my biggest barriers i'm not worthy or i'm not able so i often think okay great you understand the story of christianity then <laughs> right you're not worthy and we're not able but because of that, we just hang on to that so much that we just forget that God says, I get that. This is why I, I came for you. This is why I choose to live in you if you invite me in. This is, I know you're not worthy. I know you're not able. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not giving you a command to do something that you can't do. I know you can't do it. I'll join you with it. You follow? You follow? And so when, when I know that people who are, uh, you know, they're hesitant, they're reluctant, they're afraid to move forward, to do something good, I know somewhere they're operating one of those two things. I'm not worthy or I'm not able. And, and, and it's a misunderstanding about who God is. I'm glad he isn't fair. He's not concerned with equity. He's only concerned with, with what we do, with what we have. And so, if there's a way to get more done, if there's a way to help more people, he's going to get it done. And, and notice how the servants in both stories are are measured, or how they're you know rewarded. It's not by comparison; it's by by completion. What did you do with what you had? Uh, <laughs> what did you do with what I gave you? Uh, some of occasionally somebody will ask how did you know that God called you or you know, wanted you to go, you know, the pastor thing? I said, oh, I was watching Lord of the Rings and, uh, and I, I got Frodo. It just, Frodo made total sense to me. The reluctant leader. You know, I don't want to go. Don't make me. But I, it, it, you know, uh, I'm convinced that if you're looking or open to hear God speak, He'll speak even through the strangest things. Lord of the Rings was my moment. Remember the scene at the end of the first movie? He's got the ring in his hand, right? Sam is asleep. Aragorn realizes that Frodo's got to go alone. Not that I've seen it a few times. (laughs) I actually do have a life. And, And he's thinking what he's going to do, right? And so the Gandalf character, the Christ figure in the story, reminds him, you don't get to choose the seasons and times of your life. You just get to choose what you're going to do with them. And then the scene cuts to his hand. He fists at the ring, right? Closes it, and decides to go forward. I love that. Because that's when I knew for me, I had to do this. This was an opportunity. This is something I could do. This is something that almost seemed like the last 30, 40 years was aiming towards. And if I didn't do it, I would be saying, I'm afraid. Look, here. let me give you a principle for life. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is going to work for you. If there's an opportunity to do something good for another person and you have the ability to do so, go do it. You're, you're going to have a much more fulfilled life, a much happier life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's, your, it's really sort of paying back the rent to be alive and showing your gratefulness for what God has done for you. Okay, let me, let me end on, a, on, a, on this question for you, and we're going to close. Um, by the way, did you, know, did you guys know the story about those people in Pico Rivera that won that $248 million, right? You know, they were so close. I mean, I was hoping they, were, they came here to church, so then they tie, that'd be kind of a nice bump. Um, at any rate, so let's say you got a million dollars, right? And they, and, but the contingency is you have to invest it. And here are the two choices. You can either invest in BP, okay, or Apple. And the iPad's going to open up in nine more countries this Friday. Where would you invest in? Because you have to maximize your resources. I mean, you could just say it. Apple, right. Obvious. See, this is, I think, the question I've often asked in myself. And I hope that you will process for yourself as well. Am I a good investment for God? Did I maximize his investment of his spirit and his life in my soul? <coughs> and then the question is for you, are you? Are you a good investment for God? What did you do with who you are, your it, 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 um It matters what we do. It, it matters that there's a God who cares about people. It matters even when you serve in obscurity because he observes, he remembers, he knows. And you develop the muscle of faithfulness that will put you on the path to wisdom. Hey, let's dismiss in, uh, in this moment and then we have to, some opportunities to connect. But uh, yeah, I, I love this section. So I hope you'll join us for the rest of the next few weeks. Father, thank you for being good to us. Thank you that you are... (laughs) that you weren't fair to us. you were gracious, merciful, and kind to us. And what I pray is that you help us to become people that are good investments. (laughs) That uh, we returned and did more with what our lives were in helping other people, in caring for other people, than... um, than others who choose to ignore their resources. So help us in this process to become people who are wise by developing the muscle of faithfulness that leads to perseverance will help us enjoy wisdom. In your son's name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.